Praise you, God. Amen. You have your Bibles with you today. We're opening to the second, uh, first Samuel, I'm sorry, chapter 17. A story, if you've been in, grown up around church, that you're very familiar with, the David and Goliath story. And I, for those of you who may not be as familiar, I'm going to try to color in a little bit. We're not going to read all of this story for you, but we're going to start at uh, 1 Samuel chapter 17, verse 16. And then I'll try to fill in some of the gaps for you and help you understand a little bit better uh, what's going on in the story here, okay? So 1 Samuel chapter 17, beginning at verse 16. For 40 days, the Philistine came forward every morning and evening and took his stand. Little backdrop here, uh, David which will be king of Israel much, much later, is now just a young man. And uh, it's by happenstance, by God's providence, that he finds himself uh, right here in the middle of all of this that's going on. The Philistine army is facing down uh, the Israelites. And uh, they have sent out a mighty warrior called Goliath. And uh, as you will learn as we unfold the story, uh, this is a mammoth warrior. And he's standing on the battlefield challenging Israel's best to come and stand against him. And uh, this is a courage builder for the enemy. Uh, they have probably used this tactic many times in the past, destroy the best of the other enemy's um, warrior. And then it gives courage and strength for their army to rise up and then, and then the battle will ensue. But here everybody is bunkered down except for the mighty Goliath, who's standing up, and uh, he's, he's mocking Israel, and he's calling them out, and it says here, for 40 days, this Philistine came forward every morning and evening, he took his stand. What you need to know about David at this point was that David was uh, just a very young man, possibly uh, younger than what I'm thinking, but probably in the, in the nature of 14 to 16 years old, possibly even as young as 12. David was not uh, considered a man at this point and still had duties at home, took care of the flock, the sheep uh, that his father had. And uh, so his father had sent him to the battle lines to take food uh, for his brothers. They had been there a long time and, and his father wanted to encourage them a little bit, bring something from home, a little taste from home. And so David wanders into the back of the battle lines, and uh, he hears this Philistine, this giant of a man, uh, crying out and cursing Israel and Israel's God, and it stirs his heart. And David says, you know, uh, well, nobody's going to go out and challenge this guy. I mean, he, the things he's saying, there's no way. And they kept trying to push him back as if you just really don't understand, you know, you don't know what's going on around here. You, you need to just keep quiet because, you know, anybody that goes out there, it's a death sentence for them. And just keep quiet and we're the ones that are the soldiers, we're the ones that will. And David was so persistent that he got the ear of Saul, who was king. And Saul um, says, well, you know what, if you'll go, you'll go and, and uh, you know, nobody else will, so... You know, why don't you suit up my armor? <laughs> Can you imagine man? a king that lacks the courage and is instead willing to give his armor to a boy? 
to go out and fight against a giant. And so then takes us to the next section here, beginning at verse 37, if you'll find your way down there. Verse 37, Saul said to David, go and the Lord be with you. And then Saul dressed David in his own tunic. He, he put a coat of armor on him and a bronze helmet on his head. And David fastened on the sword over the tunic and tried to walk around because he was not used to them. You can imagine uh, the stature of Saul. Uh, we're told when, when he became king, he was uh, at least six foot, probably six foot four or so, a giant of a man. And here he is strapping this, his armor onto a young boy. Uh, I cannot go in these, David says, he said to Saul, because I am not used to them. So he took them off. Then he put on, uh, he took his staff in his hand. He chose five smooth stones from the stream and he put them in his pouch of a shepherd's pouch and with his sling in his hand approached the Philistine. What an incredible sight this must have been. A little background uh, is needed in terms of us understanding a little bit more about Goliath. Uh, Goliath was uh, anywhere from 9 to 11 feet tall, according to, to Scripture. Uh, to put that in perspective, help you understand it, in today's terms, Shaquille O'Neal is listed as 7 foot 1. Andre the Giant was uh, 7 foot 4 inches. And the tallest man ever recorded in, in modern history in the Genesis World Book of Records was Robert Wadlow, and his, he measured 8 feet 11 inches. 8 feet 11 inches. Biblically, uh, some evidence points to the fact that Goliath uh, was not necessarily a Philistine, but uh, being a descendant from Anakim, which was a race of warriors that was living in Canaan during the time of Joshua. You, Deuteronomy chapter 2, verses 10 through 21 talk about that. You may remember that story and how that in the beginning, when... Um, you know, when it was time for Israel to enter the promised land that Moses, in the beginning, he thought, we're going to do representative government here. You know, we're going to have a, a senator from each of the 12 tribes, right? Hello? <laughs> we're entering election. And he said, you know, we're just going to take uh, a member of all 12 tribes and we'll send them out to spy out the land. And uh, there was a leadership lesson that's, that happened for Moses uh, he learned that that was not a good way to do things because he said that they came back uh, a, with, a, with a bad report. Ten of them had a bad report. Two of them had a good report. And the bad report was there were giants in the land. That was this Anakim uh, group of, of individuals that, that inhabited the, the land that God had promised to his people. And so he had ten discouraging stories that came back to Israel and only two good stories. Right, two people that said, "You know what? God's big enough. He can, we can help us. He's He's helped us do mighty things. We can take these guys. It's no big deal for God. It's no big thing." And so it so discouraged the people that they didn't wind up going over into the promised land. So next time around, you know, when they had circled Mount Sinai again and they came back to the edges of the promised land, Moses is smart. He learned a leadership lesson. This time, no representative government. Give me the two guys with a good report. <laughs> We're going to send them out to spy out the land. Two good reports. 
And uh, so he sent them out to spy out the land. They're like, yeah, it's great. You know, they, they, they told all the positive things about the land and how God would help them prevail, right? So a leadership lesson, you may remember that, and that was the story of those. And so many believe that Goliath was a descendant of Anakim uh, and uh, that probably not necessarily just a Philistine, but a giant of a warrior. Basically, some evidence points to uh, Goliath being a descendant of Anakim. And, and so uh, Goliath had a, a large suit of armor, which biblical text uh, tells us weighed 5,000 shekels of bronze, 1 Samuel 17, verse 5. In today's terms, that would be anywhere in the neighborhood of 90 to 140 pounds of armor. Some of you that are sitting here today don't weigh 140 pounds. <laughs> and I mean, imagine carrying around 140 pounds of armor, right? The length of his spear, and we have a picture of that up here. Uh, uh, a, somebody replicated that based on what they, they got from. Uh, can you imagine that? That's, that's frightening enough, isn't it? 13 feet um, long, and uh, it, it weighed 17 uh, pounds. And uh, he, had, he, was, he was a formidable uh, opponent, right? And that spear alone would, would strike a lot of fear in people. Uh, you might notice in that picture uh, the exit sign in the background. That's where I would have been if Goliath <laughs> were carrying that thing right there. But can you imagine the courage that it would take to face a giant like this? Uh, and, and, and we see that all of the, the, the Israelite army was, was frightened and afraid, but David, for some reason, was not. Now, when David arrived on these battle lines, Goliath had been taunting the entire Israelite army twice a day for weeks, two times a day, just mocking them and making fun of them. I want to tell you that there are many of you walking in faith in your Christian values, standing up, that have literally been mocked for all of 2020, right? You're sensing and feeling the pain that David must have felt. You've been mocked in, in terms of social media. You've been made fun of. Um, you know, you've been ridiculed in, in circles before. If you're standing up for God, if you're part of the body of Christ, that just comes with the territory, right? Jesus said, you know, they, they, uh, if they hated me, they'll hate you. If they persecute me, they're going to persecute you. And uh, someone said a long time ago, if you do what he did and you say what he said, you're going to get what he got, Right. There is a, there's an element of sacrifice that should be in, a part of life as a believer, as one who is a true follower of Jesus Christ. Because people don't just dislike Jesus and dismiss him and think it's not a good, a good idea for their life. They don't think it's a good idea for your life or anybody's life on the planet. And that is the evil behind it. That's the enemy that is trying to eradicate the very name of Jesus from the planet of the earth. There has been no other uh, religion that has faced the persecution that, that Christianity has faced and where they have tried to burn every document and get rid of everything that says uh, about God. And every nation that rises up and becomes a totalitarian nation first chokes out religion in the nation and destroys that. It, it wants no voice uh, of Christ to be in that nation at all. Somebody say amen. Amen. King Saul offered a, an array of rewards to anyone who, who might defeat uh, the Philistine champion. And uh, you can go through and read those. He, he offered the hand of his daughter in marriage. He offered half the kingdom in, in wealth. He, he offered so much to whoever would stand up and go fight against Goliath. But 
the soldiers were all ran from Goliath in fear. It says in, in 1 Samuel chapter 17, verse 24, And all the men of Israel, when they saw the man, uh, fled from him and were dreadfully afraid. The Philistines were occupying the land that God had promised to Abraham, to Isaac, and to Jacob. The land that God had given through Moses and Joshua and Israel. And the question for us to examine today is, what giant is occupying the God promises for your life? What giant is standing between you and the promises that God has for your life? And God is calling you to stand up against that giant. What giants are standing between you and what God wants to accomplish in your life, in your family's life? We can often see fear before we actually see the giant. And such was the case for all of the army of Israel. They didn't even have to look on the field to see the mammoth size of the warrior that stood out there in the field to battle them. They didn't have to even view Goliath just hearing his words, hearing his cursing of their God and of their beliefs and of, of them as a people scorning them and, and calling them out and mocking them for their, their lack of bravery. That was enough. Just hearing that caused them to run in fear and to be afraid. David understood that Goliath was not only defying Saul's army, but God himself. The central point of the story is, is uh, here in 1 Samuel chapter 17 is David's reply to Goliath's threats. And you can find those in 1 Samuel chapter 17, verse 45 through 47. Let me read it for you. Then David said to the Philistine, You come to me with the sword and with the spear and with a javelin. But I come to you in the name of the Lord of hosts, the God of the armies of Israel, whom you have defiled. This day the Lord will deliver you into my hand, and I will strike you, and, make you, uh, and take your head from you. And this day I will give your carcass of the, uh, the camp of the Philistines to the birds of the air and the wild beasts of the earth, that all the earth may know that there is a God in Israel. And then all this assembly shall know that the Lord does not save with the sword or with the spear, for the battle, let's say this together, for the battle is the Lord's. He didn't say it like you believed it. Let's say it again. For the battle is the Lord's. And he will give it into, your, into our hands. Godly courage is, is not the absence of fear. It is the certainty of your position. Godly courage is not the absence of fear. It is the certainty of your position. What is your position? Four things that you need to know about your position. You are saved. You are saved. We've gone through this in our series on saved. You're saved from what? You're saved from hell. You're saved from the power of sin, overcoming your life and, and destroying you and tearing you down. You're saved from uh, the, the destiny of, of being separated from God for eternity. And you're, you're secure. You're secure in that salvation. God has secured the promises that He has for your life. There is no man that can pluck you out of the hand of God. You are secure in that. You are sound. The Bible talks about us being of a sound mind. 
We, he's not given us a spirit of fear, of timidity, but he's given us uh, power and love and of a soundness of mind. We have right thinking. Right. It doesn't matter that people disagree with what you have to say as you speak God's word into the world. As you speak God's truths into the world, you are the one that has the sound mind. They are the ones that are off the reservation, right? They are the ones that need some counsel and need to come back into. God will never conform the gospel to other people's hearts. Your heart must conform to the gospel of Jesus Christ. The transformation has to come from us. There may be things that we look at and we agree with culture. We think this is the way things should be. This is the way things should go. God changed the way that, that you're doing things and conform to what we all believe is culture. It's not happening. If you're going to be saved, if you're going to stand sound in what God has, has for your life, you're going to conform your heart to his gospel, right? You're going to surrender. But when we do, we are standing sound. And the third thing, or the fourth thing, is that we're sent. We are sent. Listen to me and repeat these words after me. I belong here. Say it with me. I belong here. Say this with me. I am not a mistake. I am not a mistake. One more time. I am not a mistake. God wants me to be here. He wants me to fight against the giants that are occupying the land that he has promised to me. I'm not here by accident. I am here on purpose. God has called me here. God has called me to stand here and to confront the giant that is trying to keep me from the promise that God has for my life. Amen. Hallelujah. It's true that David was courageous. And courage is an essential and glorious virtue. But... When he faced Goliath, David's courage was what we call a derivative virtue. What does that mean? It was being empowered. His courage was being empowered by something else. Speaking of courage, how do you like our new shirts here? Courage. <laughs> the God Talk shirts. Let us be courageous. Let us be courageous. David's courage was a derivative virtue of something else that was going on in David. What was the source of David's courage? Before we look at the source of David's courage, let's, let's examine for a moment, you know, the, the lack of courage with Saul's army, Saul himself and his soldiers. They lacked uh, the courage in that moment to stand up against that giant. And on the surface, the answer seems, you know, pretty obvious, doesn't it? I mean, we went through... Uh, this, this great giant's uh, height, he was a warrior. There's probably a record of people had heard of him, of, of his conquest, of his victories. Uh, he was well known. And uh, he's, he's carrying, you know, a, a sword that weighed more than David. <laughs> I, probably, I mean, he's carrying this, this mighty spear. He's, his, his armor certainly weighs more than, than some of those that were in the Israelite army. And and, uh, it, and, and so it, on the surface, it seems like that just makes sense why people would be afraid of him. He was trained. He was a massacre machine. He, he had, uh, you know, defeated every opponent that had come against him. He was, he was a physical, uh, you know, just, just this, this massive presence. 
And it wasn't just how, how he looked, which was intimidating enough. His voice, which was probably booming across the, the valley in these hills and, and uh, could be heard for a long ways. But it was just the presence of him backed up by the mighty army of the Philistines that brought about fear. Fighting Goliath looked like suicide, just plain and simple. And so from a, from a just a, a strictly observational kind of perspective, it, you know, we understand why they were afraid. We understand why they would be fearful of this mighty giant standing up. But it's not as plain and simple as it might seem, is it? First of all, because fighting Goliath didn't look like suicide to David, who was physically outclassed as much as anyone. Most of the soldiers in the Israelite army physically outclassed David. He's fourteen, fifteen year old boy, and uh, and so he he has not yet come into manhood, and and uh, most of the guys there are physically bigger than him, stronger than him, you know, mightier than he would be. But also because these men believed in God and knew Israel's history, they knew the stories of how God had overcome giants and adversaries one after another. And so it's surprising when you think about it from this perspective. Many of them had personally seen God do amazing things, such as Jonathan's defeat of the Philistine garrison in 1 Samuel chapter 14. You remember that one? Jonathan slipped away. All of the Israelites were with Saul, and they were sitting underneath a huge shade tree and and in in an area removed from the enemy, kind of just contemplating, you know, Boy, I hope we can succeed, and I, you know, I'm worried about things. I don't really want to go out and confront the enemy. And Jonathan took his armor bearer. You remember this story? And uh, he slips away, and nobody even knows he's gone. And he goes down uh, to uh, this, one of the garrisons. There's, there's over 20 men in this garrison up on the hill of the Philistines. And he says to his armor bearer, he says, tell you what. He said, I'm gonna, we're going to go out and show ourselves so that they can see us. We've snuck in here to this point, but we're going to stand up and show them that we're here. And if they say, come up to us, we're going to wipe them out. Because that's God's signal that he's on our side and we're going to take them out. But if they say, wait, we're coming down to you, we'll wipe them out down here. That's God's signal that they're coming down to meet us, right? So he said, you follow after me. And uh, so he goes out, they show themselves. And it says that the Philistines started laughing at them. They said, come on up here to us, and we'll teach you a lesson. And, it, and when you read the story, this was, a, this was no little tiny hill. He, it says that, that here we have uh, Jonathan climbing on all fours up this mountain. You know, I don't know if you ever saw the Princess Bride, but you know, when he gets up that, the ragged edge of that mountain, uh, you know, the, uh, his, the, the guy, the warrior who's going to fight him says, you know, I'm going to give you some time to rest because that was quite a, a journey you just made to get up here, all right? Well, no such thing happened for Jonathan. When he got up there, they were ready to do battle. And he wiped out tw- over 20 men in that garrison. 
And it, these men of Israel witnessed that. They knew about that. Their courage had been strengthened because they saw Jonathan and his armor bearer go up. And Jonathan was striking them. As you read the story, he's striking them. They're falling down. They're not completely dead. His armor bearer, you know, you can imagine this guy who's, who's kind of the caddy for, you know, one of these famous golfers, you know, and, and a little guy running around, you know, and, he's, and he pulls out his sword about half the size, you know, and he's just finishing the job like you're done. And, he, and, 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 and here is, you know, Jonathan just wiping him out as fast as he can. And he, he knocks him down he says it's up to you to finish him off because i got to go get the next guy and he wipes out over 20 of them and the courage rose in the midst of israel but after all of that here they are huddled and hiding while goliath is screaming and defying them now, the men have lacked courage in the face of the giant because they also lacked faith and at the moment in this particular moment, for whatever reason, despite all of the stories and the past experiences, for all of these men of Israel, this mighty army of Israel, Goliath looked bigger than God. Goliath looked bigger than God. They were focused on his bigness, on, on what a giant he was, and what a, what, a, what, a, what a mighty presence he was commanding on this battlefield. And in that moment, they were more afraid of him than they were of God. And each man believed that if he went up against this humongous human, that he would be on his own and he would end up being just bird food. Courage is not an autonomous, self-generated virtue. Courage is always produced by faith, whether it's faith in God or something else. We read of the great stories of our uh, warriors and soldiers who are out on the battlefield and how they rise up just one man uh, left and, and he goes and takes out to save some of the men and his uh, troops that are wounded out there. He takes on a, an army of, of twice or, or four times the size of their gathering uh, and, and, and is, is later awarded the, the Medal of Freedom or, or Medal of Honor by our military because he, he believes in his cause. He believes in, in the flag. He believes in what he is doing. But in this instance, faith in God was what was driving David. He believed that the promises of God were faithful. For the Christian, a, a lack of courage, what the writer of Hebrews calls shrinking back in Hebrews chapter 10, verse 37 through 38, is always the evidence of a lack of faith in the promises of God. Some Goliath is looming larger than God in the sight, in your sight, and he's, he's, he's humiliating and taunting you. And all you see is, is how weak and pathetic you are, and how inadequate you are in the face of him. Fighting him seems impossible, and the thought of doing so just immobilizes us. How do we get over the fear of the giant? When David heard the Philistine defying the living God and his army, it made him angry. David got angry. When he heard the Philistine defying God and calling out God, that's the God I love. That's the God I worship. 
That's the God I've given my whole life to. That's the God who's always been faithful to me. That's the God who provided for me. That's the God who helped me to, to, to defeat the bear when it was coming against uh, the sheep that I shepherd. That's the God who, who helped me defeat the lion that was coming against the sheep that I shepherd. That's the God that helped me find food for, for, my, uh, for, for my sheep as we were wandering out in the night trying to find uh, the next place for them to pasture. That's the God who's always provided for my family. That's the God I love. That's the God I serve. That's the God that I grew up and knew personally and have a personal relationship with. Goliath's taunts and accusations scorned God glory. And, and, and no one would step up to defend the name of God. And, and it, made, it made God look weak, and David couldn't live with it. I was thinking about, and I've shared this story before, one of the professors that Zach had when he was at Biola, it, he, was, he had a little meeting with all the guys. He had them come over to his house, and he was just doing some personal, like, one-on-one. And one of the questions of the guy was, you know, they're young guys. It's like, how do I find a life mate? You know, how do I find a person? What should I look for in my wife? And he said, I want to tell you the number one thing I was looking for in, in, in the woman that I wanted to be my wife, that when she heard the name of God defamed and taunted and ridiculed, she could not live with it, that she would rise up with indignation for the name of Jesus Christ, that she was a member of the church of Jesus Christ, and she loved him with all of her heart. That's what I looked for, number one. Not not. Uh, was she the most beautiful woman on the planet? Not, not was she the most skilled? Uh, not, was she, not did she have certain career types or uh, you know, certain giftings and, and uh, all of this other, but I wanted to know she loved God and was passionate about him. Yes. And if that was the case, then I wanted her to be my wife. And such should be our response to every fear and lofty opinion that raises itself against the knowledge of God, 2 Corinthians chapter 10 and 5. Our fears are not primarily about us or the way that we feel. Our fears are primarily about our God. They impugn God's character. They call him weak and non-existent. They defy God and his church. This is an outrage, and it's one that the church of Jesus Christ must stand up against. We're called to stop cowering, to stand up against our fears, not to allow anything to intimidate us. My question to you again is, what giant is occupying the promise that God has in front of you? What giant is standing in your 2020 that needs to be confronted with the boldness and the courage of one who believes in a mighty God who can deliver One who will say, you come at me with slander, with accusations, with swords, with shields, with government authorities, but I come to you in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ. And greater is he that is in me than he that's in the world. I want to ask our worship team to come back. In our prayer time earlier this morning, uh, I was talking to our group gathering in the front about how that Michelle last week was uh, reminding us of a story in the Old Testament where God had asked a king that was he was facing a mighty army and he says I'm going to I'm going to destroy the armies in advance of you he he told him to to take a handful of 
of arrows in his hand. And to take those arrows and strike the ground. And as many times as he struck the ground, God says, I'm going to defeat your armies and drive them back. And, and this king lacked the courage and only took, you know, two or three swipes at the land. And, and God was angered at his lack of courage. Only two or three victories for the armies of God. And when God said, I, I can wipe these guys completely out. And I, I think about where we need to be as a church today, taking that handful of arrows and thrashing them on the ground over and over and over again, 100 times, 1,000 times, so that God will drive out the enemies of the land, that God will destroy them. It's time for us to get angry. It's time for us to, to, to have a righteous indignation. It's time for us to stand up against the giants in our land. It's time for us to be filled with the faith of God, for the promise is certain for us. God has promised, and they are certain. I want to hear the anger that we have against what the enemy has done. So I'm asking you to stand today. I want us to raise our voices. And I want us to, I want God and all of heaven to hear the righteous indignation inside of us. We have had enough. We're ready to stand as a church against all that the enemy has set against us. And let's take just a moment right here before we go into worship and just cry out to God, Lord, come and deliver your people. We believe in you and every giant that stands in the land, Lord, against the promises that you have given. Every giant that stands in the way of the harvest. Every giant that stands in the way of a promise that you have made. Every giant that stands in the way of financial uh, blessings. God, every giant that stands in the way of bringing uh, couples together and uniting them, Lord, for your glory. God, every giant that stands against those, Lord, who are trying to, to bring children into the world, Lord and want to see them raised to know you and to love you. God, every giant that stands in the way right now against what you want to do, Father, we rise up right now, Lord, with, with indignation, Lord, with righteous indignation, and we say we will not take it anymore. We're standing, Lord, in the fields that you have given to us, God. We're coming against the mighty giant, saying you are coming against us, but we come against you in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ. Hallelujah. We proclaim victory for your kingdom, Lord. Victory, God, in the name of Jesus. Lord, we are not losers. We are winners in Christ Jesus, Lord. You have given us this land. You have made these promises. And you're asking us to rise up, to stand up, and to speak to the giant, Lord, and to conquer and to overcome that which stands between us and the promises of God. We, have come, we come against fear. Lord, we come against every attack of the enemy in the mighty name of Jesus. We give you the glory. We give you the praise. We give you the honor, Lord Jesus. Thank you, Father. Hallelujah. Praise you, God. Praise you, God. Praise you, God. Thank you, Jesus. Praise you, Lord. Hallelujah. Hallelujah.